North Rock Podcast. Good morning, everyone. So uh, we are currently in a new series that we're calling Pulse, Finding the Heart for God or for Christ's House. And, uh, and I don't know if you knew this, but a quick plug, we're also in the middle of a capital campaign right now through the month of October. We've produced the Heart for the House pamphlet. If you haven't grabbed one of these, make sure you do. It outlines kind of our strategic initiatives and, and um, the, like kind of our focus points for our upcoming calendar year. And we're asking everyone in our congregation, everyone who's a part of, who calls this the, their church home, to consider giving on top of their normal tithes and offerings this month, to give an extra month in essence. Uh, if you look at the kind of numbers of our budget, that would amount to something close to $40,000. But if we could do that all together, give a 13th month in terms of offering or tithes, what we want to do is make an investment with that money in towards advancing that, the, those ministry initiatives. And you can read more about that in the pamphlet, but I just wanted to flag that for you as you consider prayerfully together as a family, as a part of this family, uh, what it looks like to invest in the, uh, and have a heart for the house, okay? So we're looking at uh, the pulse, like what it is that, how to discover that heartbeat, God's heartbeat for his house. And this morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to connect with one another, to connect those ar- around us to the church. That's one of the, if you know, if you've been around us, you know that we talk about acts, attract, connect, train, and send. This is our methodology for how we go about being church together. And last week we looked at attract, and we explored the idea of our calling to, to, to advance the gospel, to attract those around us to our God. But in order, as we were reminded by Chad last week, in order for us to attract those around us to God, we have to be attracted to that God. Does that make sense? We have to have a heart for Jesus. We have to see him as good and beautiful and worthy of our love and affection and adoration. This morning, I want to talk to you about connecting those around us to the, to the church. And I want to explore this idea of what it means to be a part of the church. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. Okay, let's pray together. So God, we thank you for how you are gathering your people. You've called us, and now you're gathering us together, and you're building us up in your image so that we might be sent in your name. We pray that we would more and more reflect the image of Jesus. We pray this morning that your word would be preached. And by that I mean that you would be revealed. And we know that the full revelation of God is Jesus Christ. And so we pray, God, that we wouldn't just talk about Jesus this morning, but we would, we would uh, be able to see him. He would be revealed to us this morning. And we would find our place in him, our, our life in him. For we know what it means to be a Christian, and that is basically this, that our life is in Christ, and Christ's life is, is in us. And so we pray this morning that that would take place in more and more abundance, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at what it means to be connected to the body, all right? And in essence, we're, it's a part of our Attract, Connect, Train, and Send. What does it mean to be connected? And I want to begin our conversation by giving you a little bit of information, a statistic. I want to throw a statistic at you. Um, I did some research uh, this weekend, and I found numerous articles in the last two years that are talking about how we are now living in what is, has been said an age of loneliness. On Time Magazine, Huffington Post, a number of different places, uh, all sorts of research is now coming in that more and more, in, one in five individuals 
uh, deal with chronic loneliness on a regular basis. And uh, we might say, oh, that's, what, 20%? But that's a marked difference than where we had been 10, 20, 50 years ago. So we are living now in what's being called an age of loneliness. And not only that, but the research that's coming in says that loneliness is, is actually becoming a health factor, that it, it, it affects our actual health when we're in chronic loneliness, that we don't do really well when we're experiencing isolation, dislocation, loneliness, that, uh, in fact, life expectancy goes down when you're dealing with chronic loneliness. Isn't that interesting? There's something there, I think, that we need to talk about. And I think that this is, um, I think it's probably self-evident, even though we don't always take time to think about this, it's probably self-evident that we're dealing with loneliness. And I mean that by, we, in, in a day and an age where we are more interconnected than ever through like social media, right, social networks, yet we are like individuals moving through a crowd. You know, more and more people are living by themselves than ever before. Even though we're urbanizing as we're moving closer and closer towards one another and packing in more and more into urban centers, we're living by ourselves in isolation and loneliness. And so our opportunities for actual real human interaction, a real connection to be made, is actually becoming limited by our technological expertise. Here's the deep irony of technological advancement. The more and more we gain control of our environment, the more and more we have mastery over our lives, the less and less we need one another. At least that's what we tell ourselves. It's easier and easier to get by as an individual, and yet, when we try to do that, we start getting lonely, and it doesn't do well for us. It's not good for our soul. It's not good for our heart. It's almost as if we're wired for connectedness. Are you with me this morning? Okay. So we're living in an age of loneliness, and here's my explanation for this. We've been atomized. Now, what do I mean by that? (laughs) Lori's looking at me like, are you making up that word? We've been atomized. What do I mean by that? Well, think about the, the iconic images of what it means to be a successful, full human being, right? More often than not, the way we talk about it today is we talk about it in terms of individualization and empowerment. So whether it's like the individual who's tackling uh, the, the, the storms and conquering them, rising up against them and conquering them. Or it's the rugged, self, you know, the rugged, hard-boiled, kind of tough-as-nails dude, right? Or how about this? If you're just a sleek, stylish, uh, you, you can uh, attract or you can conquer, win other women, or you can attract other men that you have uh, material, there's a kind of a materialism in our iconic imagery. Or how about this? Just how, what it means to be strong. There's a couple gals on our staff that are reading about being a strong woman these days. Huh? I, I was joking with them because there's an old 70s song that goes, I am strong, I am invincible, I am woman. I play that for them whenever they do their Bible study. Yeah. Or how about this? Check out this statue. You know what this uh, statue is called? The self-made man. You see how he's chiseling himself out of the rock? 
These are the images that talk to us about what it means to be successful, uh, what tell us what human flourishing looks like. They're iconic. They, they speak to us. But here's the deal. They also atomize us. What do I mean by that? Leslie Newbegin, a theologian who has been profoundly influential on me, in a book called uh, The Household of God, where he talks about the ecclesiology, the theology of the church. In the introduction there, he talks about the modern condition. And he says this, that there has been a dissolution of the ties. There has been a dissolution of the ties which bound men and women together uh, in natural communities of faith, a family, village, or working group to which they had belonged. We have witnessed a sort of atomizing process in which the individual is more and more set free from his natural setting in family and neighborhood and becomes a sort of replaceable unit in the social machine. Now hang with me here. His nearest neighbor may not even know his name. He is free to move from place to place, from job to job, from acquaintance to acquaintance, and if he has attained a high degree of emancipation, from wife to wife. He is in every context a more and more anonymous and replaceable part. The perfect incarnation of the rationalist conception of a man. In other words, uh, as we move more and more into the modern world, we, we become less and less kind of connected, and, all, then all, and so we're atomized where you can take out the parts and put the, rearrange them and put them together. Uh, I don't know about you, but that actually kind of woke me up. We don't think much of it, about it now, but we can move around anytime we want to, right? If you want to up and move to Missouri, you can, or to New York City, you can. And if your job oftentimes will take you, not from your neighborhood or your co- the context that you were born or whatnot, it'll take you and relocate. It can even relocate you around the world, right? So we're always in the process of being shuffled, and in that sense, we're losing kind of the natural historic bonds that have always tied us together in family, community, even country. So he goes on a little bit later, and he says, in such a situation, it is natural that men should long for some sort of real community, for men cannot be human without it. So Newbegin's argument is, there's something wired in us that what it means to be human is not human as uh, an individual, but human in community. A person in community is what it means to be human. Okay? So here's the challenge then for us. Here's our conflict. There's something in all of us that longs for connection, right? We long to be known and to know others. We long to have deep friendships. We lo- no matter how introverted or extroverted we are, we are wired to be connected. And yet, the image, the iconic image for us, is something like the Lone Ranger. with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high of silver, the Lone Ranger. 
So why do I show that to you? Here's the deal. I want to talk about the church, and I want to begin by saying, in the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the church has no concept of that. There is no concept in the New Testament of the Lone Ranger. What do I mean by that? If you look at the beginning, when the church first had its formation, after Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven and then sent his spirit, right? He pours out his spirit in Pentecost and draws 3,000 to himself. 3,000 in that moment are converted and are baptized and are built in, are brought in, are connected into the church community. This is the first beginnings of what we now call the church, the assembly, the God's holy people, the saints, right? When that happens, here's how it gets then described in Acts chapter 2. It goes like this. All the believers devoted themselves, all 3,000, they camped out after they had been converted. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in, in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity." All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I love that Debbie, when she was reading through in the group, if you guys were reading through the book of Acts and the story of the church, one of the strong things that pull, like smack you in the face is how connected these followers of Jesus were with one another. Do you see that here? Do you see the fellowship that they had, the communion that they had that's a fancy way for talking about fellowship or friendship or belonging right off the bat from the very beginning what we see depicted in the early church is a sense of mutual submission interrelatedness interconnectedness deep fellowship and connection so much so, as, the, as they tried to like figure out or get a grasp of what was going on, they started to realize something new has taken place here. We can no longer talk in terms of tribes like we see in Africa, right? A new tribe has happened. Or they would use language like, a new creation has begun in our midst. Or a new humanity has developed, emerged. God has taken old things, old dividing walls, torn them down, and put us all together in some new way, what they started calling the church. But here's the imagery that I think comes out the most as they started to reflect and think about the nature of their existence together. And it comes in the form of the Apostle Paul. Nobody did this better than the Apostle Paul. He described this deep mystery that exists in the church. And if you don't know the Apostle Paul's story, it goes something like this. He was a Pharisee, a Jew, living in Palestine, stuck to the rules pretty well, uh, like, uh, like to a degree that no one else did. He had really gone all in in his commitment to his faith. And so as a result, he saw this emergence of this new community that were called people of the way or later called Christians by, by some those who followed Christ, he saw that as a derivation or as a, 
a movement away from the true faith. And so as a result, out of his fervency, he went around, uh, around and got permission to persecute and, and stamp that out before it could get going, right? And so in Acts chapter 9, you hear his story where it goes like this. Meanwhile, Saul, this is Paul's former name. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his, this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In response, Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. I want to focus in on that last response by Jesus. When, 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 um, when Jesus asks, so, so Saul has like this miraculous revelation. Jesus shows up and literally knocks him on his rear end. Okay? Stops him in his tracks. And he, said, he, he puts, puts a question to Saul, who would later be called Paul. Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, here's what happens. If you know his story, then Saul goes off into the wilderness and spends some time, and he has to rethink his world, right? He has to put it all back together. His whole worldview had just been shaken up and just messed up completely because the one that he thought was uh, the heretic was revealed to him as the risen Lord, and as I, here's, here's my thought on this. I don't know if you've given much thought to this, but as Paul is kind of sorting through that reality, that new kind of revelation, he begins to put to pl- into place a theology about the church. And he comes to a conclusion that the church is what he calls the body of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever given some thought to why he uses that imagery, the body of Christ. But I think it begins, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think it begins here in this encounter. Because when he's asked by, when he's asked by Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, who was Saul persecuting? The, the, these followers of Jesus, right? But Jesus says, you're persecuting me. In persecuting them, you're persecuting me. Do you, are you tracking with me? So I think he starts going, wait a second. If I'm persecuting the church, and Jesus says in doing that, I'm persecuting him, maybe there's something deeper, a deeper mystery going on here than I realize. And that's what he comes up with this body imagery that we can see all over the New Testament. But look, look at uh, Romans right here. It says, just, Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We are the body of Christ, he says. And it, like any good body, where there's different members, different parts to that body, but we, there's a bond, there's a belonging there that can best be described as something like Christ's own body, in which Christ is the head. 
Or look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free. Now what's he doing? He's describing all sorts of former identity markers. But now we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share in the same spirit. So listen, when we get baptized, like we're going to do, some of us are going to be baptized this, this morning. When we get baptized, something deep and mysterious happens. Because we are now united in a new identity. Our identity now is in Christ Jesus. We are part of his body. Different members, one body. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. See, this is by God's design. In fact, some parts of the body... Together, uh, some, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. And this is for a reason. This is by design. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. This is by God's design. I don't know if you've had experience but like this, but I've noticed as I've aged, <laughs> I've noticed as I've aged, we're all getting older, right? My body doesn't do quite what it used to do as easily. And I've noticed this in particular. Whenever there's a problem with one part of it, it has a way of affecting other parts of it. Have you noticed that? Like there's all sorts of like chronic issues, right? That if you start having a limp in the knee, it can throw out your back. It can hurt your neck. Like, like your body's constantly compensating for its ails. It wants, it's always trying to move towards health, right? Because it knows that if one part of the body is ailing, the the whole body suffers. What an interesting illustration for what it is to be a part of the church. That we all belong to each other, and this is by design so that there would be harmony. Now, I think there's even more to this story. See, I have a theory, and my theory is this, that in essence, the church is an incubator. Do you know what an incubator is? Right? If you look at like a definition, the definition would tell you it's some kind of organized structure that provides a safe environment, for, especially for like a baby that has been born premature to grow into health. I think that the church is, in essence, an incubator. The Bible talks about us as being immature in Christ, but we are called to grow into maturity, into health. And the context, the way in which that holistic, maturing, healthful process happens is as a part of the body of Christ. So, notice this. In Ephesians chapter 4, it goes like this. 
in the church, it is in the church where we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So I hear, I see, what I see right here is as we engage and connect with the church, Christ's body, we, all, we start to become more and more healthy. We grow more and more into the image of Christ who is the head of the church as we try out this new way of living, this life of love. Or look at Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. I don't know about you, but this paints a picture for me of the kind of life and the kind of community I want to be tied into. A community who exhibit in their life together a life of love. And do you notice how everyone has a role to play? Whether highly regarded or not, we're called to do what we're called to do. Just this morning, she's going to hate me for this, but just this morning, I had a chance to run by Anna. I don't know if you know Anna, but she hangs out out there doing coffee, and she sits in the back real quietly so you don't ever notice her. And, uh, And she was on her way to make a run to pick up donuts so that everyone here could have a bite to eat when they show up to church. And I said to her, thank you. Thanks for all that you do. And you know what her response was? It's my little part. It's just, it's no big deal. It's just my little part to play in the whole thing. I think that is growing into the image of Christ. That's being connected to the body. And I'm just here to say, we all have that. We are all called to be a part of that kind of life together, each sharing a part. So when we talk at North Rock about being connected, connecting those around us to the church, I want you to know this is why we make such a big deal about it. This is why. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. It says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. See, we talk about connecting and to remind us we need it. Even though we don't need it on a superficial level, deep down inside, at the deep places, we all need that kind of connection. 
And so when we launch like groups and other kinds of things, and we encourage people to get connected and to do some kind of life together, not just on a weekend basis, but on a daily basis, this is what we're talking about. That's when we're becoming the body of Christ. So what does it look like to be a part of the body of Christ here at North Rock, this particular institutional expression of this church? We have four basic ways we talk about this at North Rock. The first is attend weekly services regularly. Show up. I always am saying this, right? 80% of success in life is just showing up. Show up. I guess I'm speaking to the wrong crowd here because you've all done that. But you know what I mean? It's a part of our rhythm and our life together when we're regularly showing up. This is one of those moments, a chance for us to all make connection. I don't get to see all of you throughout the week. So it's really important and valuable to me personally when we do get to have that hug or that handshake or that check-in with one another. It, when, when days and weeks and months go by and we don't get to see each other, there's, there's almost a wound in the body there. You with me? Okay, so we show up. That's part of what it means to be at North Rock. Here's another thing. We serve on a team. There, we are a bo- if we are a body, then we all need to work well together. And, we need, and the way we do it is we create teams to get stuff done. But here's what's great about working on a team, joining, getting involved, is as you do that, as you engage and you're part of a team, a group of people, you know what happens? Community happens. Connection happens. Friendship develops. That's one of the best ways to get plugged in. If you're coming here and you're showing up and then you're saying, ah, no one's, it's, I don't really feel like it's very friendly or whatever, my best recommendation to you is, have you gone out of your way to get on a team yet? Or maybe not a team. Maybe there are other ways you're wired. Another way we talk about it is join a connect group. You, we started these 10... Um, Bible study groups that are going through the fall, and there's still opportunity to just jump in wherever they're at. We'll get you plugged in. Or even better yet, start one yourself. Like find friends that you have a connection with and commit to growing and sharing and doing life together if you want to do that. I would love to have conversations about how we can help facilitate and make that happen. But we've got to try. So show up, plug in, Get connected in a group. And finally, give financially. Like Debbie, I mean, she just preached into this whole thing, (laughs) right? Is that we pool our resources. Why? Well, it's one of the ways we take care of stuff and get stuff done. But you know why deeply? Because we're the body of Christ. And we belong to each other. And this is what it means to be, do Christian friendship together. We pool our resources. And it's always been that way. Always. Okay. I want to wrap this up, so I'm going to invite Ben to come up. But let me do this. I know I do this all the time, but I'm going to do it again. Because I have a, I, I'm going to add, I didn't know if I'd have the time to add this in, but let me just finish with this. There's another reason why we're called to be the body of Christ and be connected in that way. And it's this. I want to, uh, that it's our best form of witness. It's our best form of witness. I want to remind you of the passage, the uh, quote that Chad shared last week from Leslie Newbegin again. 
where he says, I've become convinced that the best hermeneutic of the gospel, the best way to make sense of the meaning of the gospel is the community that believes it and lives by it. It's the community that believes it and lives by it. Or let me do this. Remember the story about Acts when they were all gathering together? They were committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship in the prayers, right? We, 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 we always look at what a um, beautiful picture that is of a community of faith tied into one another, sharing everything in common, etc. But I don't know if you caught this, but at the end of that passage, it says this, and they grew day by day in the favor of all those around them. Let me read it specifically. All the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. Now, what does that mean? Enjoying the good will of all the people. Here's what I think it means. I think their neighbors liked having them around. There was something about the way in which they lived, those, that early community lived their life together that was of benefit and blessing to their neighborhood and to the world. So when we connect to the church and we are incubated, grown into the image of Jesus, it's really not just for our own sake. Yeah, we all become more and more healthy, but we begin to point to a deeper reality, a true mystery. We point to the fact that God is uniting all things in him, in Christ Jesus, who is the head where we one day will all worship him and glorify him and honor him as the Lord. Jesus Christ, risen and king. That's where this whole story is headed. And so I encourage you this morning, if you're feeling lonely and dislocated and disconnected, raise your eyes. Lift your eyes to him. Worship him. Love him. Adore him. And he will connect you to his body, the church. Can we do that together this morning? Will you stand with me and let's pray and then we'll worship? God, we thank you for the gift of your life that comes to us through other people. This morning we want to praise you for that. And we want to say we want to trust you with our lives. And we want to say we want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And we know that happens in your body, the deep mystery of faith. God, draw us deeper in and further up. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's worship. So this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been, and I don't yet know where you're going. But I do know there is one who does. And he has brought you and knit you into this body that's been given expression to here in Thornton and North Glen, North Rock Church. And so my charge to you this morning is press into this body. Get connected to this church. Do what you need to do. Cross whatever threshold you need to do. cross. And I'm telling you that as you do that, you'll find the body is like a living organism. It just 
naturally, like platelets, comes and draws and connects and heals and restores. It's the, it's, and it's our best expression as we li- do life together in, in such a way that we love one another that the world will know that Jesus is Lord. It's true. It's the best thing for the world is the, the body of Christ doing life together. And if you have heard this for the first time and you want to get connected, then it begins with us praying together. We always pray this prayer every weekend because we, it reminds us of who we've been called to be and to do together. And so uh, if you are new to faith and you are just getting the inkling of what it might be to, to hope in that impossible possibility of salvation in Jesus, then we invite you to pray this prayer with us. Let's pray together where we say, Jesus, Lord, I invite you into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave three days later. I receive forgiveness for every failure and sin in my life and give to you the right to direct my life from this day forward. I dedicate myself to learning the scripture, living in fellowship with God's people, following you in water baptism. In Jesus' name, I pray and I trust. Amen. Amen. So do this. A couple things on your radar. One, if you have needs, need for prayer, we have members of the body here who will pray for you up front. So come, get prayer. Two, if you are new to the church and want to learn more about it, or maybe you've been, been attending a while, but you want to get more connected, meet with Debbie after the service right in the back, and she'll talk with you a little bit about how to get plugged in. And three, come back and be a part of the baptism because we are the body of Christ. Amen? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Friends, go in peace, and we'll see you next week. Amen. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.